0: Let's talk about David, um, who is also a sinner. Uh, but uh, in this passage that we're looking at today, David is in a pretty good light uh, because he's trying to follow through with something that God has put on him, and uh, you know something that something that has meant a lot to him that he has felt led to do, and that's keeping a promise. Now, I don't know about you guys. Uh, but keeping a promise is—it's that's you know—that's a pretty important thing to me. I, I think it's a pretty important thing to most people. Most people at least don't want somebody that's made them a promise to go back on it. Uh, sometimes we might wish we could go back on a promise that we made because we're like, "What was I thinking, making that promise?" Uh, but you know that kind of thing happens. But uh, in this passage that we're studying today, this is a stretch. I mean, it's it's a pretty big stretch of a promise in which which God is has has you know laid this on david 's heart to follow through with this thing and, uh, and and I want to study it today with you if you don 't mind in second Samuel chapter nine, we pick up where uh, David is now king, and part of his kingship we last week we talked about he brought in the ark right he had the ark brought in because he wanted God to be central in the kingdom. And in his kingship and all the things, and I mean, I mean, just wow! Like that was just a big wow to me. I I just, you know, it's been a long time since I studied through that story, and and just, you know, it just it rolled over me. I I don't know about you, uh, in a good way. And then, uh, and then this passage this week, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember it. For whatever reason, I, and, I've, and I know I've studied through First and Second Samuel in the past and that kind of thing, but you know, just sometimes you just don't remember. And this is one of those passages. I got, and I got to be honest with you, about midway through the week this week, when I first started reading through this passage, I read it and I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm teaching about this, you know. And 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 I, I mentioned it to a couple of the guys on the staff, and they're like, What? They're like, No, it's a slam dunk, man. You're missing it. You're totally missing it. And so then they started telling me a little bit about it, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm being stupid. I really hadn't thought it through. And this passage is an amazing passage for us. It's pretty short. I want to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to talk about it. Let's do that. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and here we have uh, the story and the promise to a guy uh, named Mephibosheth. Take that and name your kid, okay? Here we go. Verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zilba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Zilba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Zilbos said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Zilbah said to the king, He is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Then the king of Zilba, Saul's servant, said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table." Now Zilba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That makes me feel a lot better right there, by the way. And Zilba said to the king, according to all my lord and the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Zilba's house, Ziba's house, excuse me, became Mephibosheth's servants. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Okay, so we've got this story of a guy named Mephibosheth and it kind of comes out of left field to some degree to us. It feels like uh, but the truth is, is that we've actually seen him. Well, you've seen him if you have done what I told you to do, which is to read between the things that I'm preaching through uh, because we're not able to catch every single piece of the Scriptures. But one of the things that you see in 2 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 4, uh, is we see uh, Mephibosheth named in there. And he is uh, the son of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, if we go back and we remember, you know, before David was the king, okay, There was another king. We haven't talked about him really at all. And I said you could go read about him and all that and find out how all that happened. And then before that was King Saul. Now, we definitely know about King Saul. We've talked about King Saul a whole bunch. And then uh, King Saul, if you remember, he had a son named Jonathan. And at the very beginning of our uh, series on David, we talked about Jonathan. And one of the things that we talked about is we talked about how Jonathan and David became the closest of friends. You remember this? And I mean, just like just Jonathan grew a love for David he recognized the anointing that God had on David's life for David to become the king and Jonathan who was heir to the throne took off his robe took off his armor and he basically gave David the right to be the king he basically said you know you know by doing that he's saying you no I, I I can't even." I can't even take this. You have to take this and run with this. This is not for me. Now, bloodline-wise, it was for him. And, and, and this is part of you know, what was upsetting to Saul, I'm pretty sure, over time through you know, his kingship and toward the end of his kingship, is he realized that his own son, who he always thought would be the king, was probably not going to be the king. Jonathan, David become tight. They have a covenant. Friendship built upon great promise. Great promise to always stand behind the other. This is true of what God has given to us in Jesus, that He has made a covenant with us, a promise to us that we can be a part of His family. That through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, we can have forgiveness, life, and and also become heirs to his kingdom. We become family. Now, this passage. And what we see in happening in this passage here. Is we see David wanting to keep good on a promise that he made to Jonathan. You say, well where's Jonathan at? We don't even see Jonathan here. Well Jonathan, Jonathan's dead. Jonathan died in a battle. So did Saul. Saul. Again, told you you should go read that and see how all that happened. But Jonathan dying in a battle, for most people we would say, well, you know, no no worries about keeping that promise at this point because he's not around. But that's not the way David saw it. David is the king at this point. He's the king. And yet the first things that he's doing... In his kingship are things like, let's get the ark in here. Let's make God the central part and get him close to us as a people, okay? He's, he's, he's kind of lining, he's kind of getting his affairs in order. And, it's, and then here he is secondly, and he's saying, you know, well, I've got to figure out a way to keep this promise to my buddy Jonathan, who's no longer with us, who's left of Jonathan's bloodline. And so they send for a guy that they know was helping in the family. And then on top of that, he comes in and he says, well, yeah, Jonathan still has a son that's alive. And his name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in his feet, if you go back and you look at 2 Samuel, I believe again, 4, maybe, well, chapter 4, somewhere in chapter 4, I won't say the verse, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, But if you look that up, you'll see that in the moment in which Jonathan and Saul were both found out to be dead, and uh, the person who was caring for Mephibosheth, who was like five years old at the time, takes off with him, a nurse that was you know to accompany him and take care of him uh, when they were gone, uh, she takes off with him to help save him from possibly being killed himself, because being the heir to a throne, you know, causes great, you know, great deals of, you know, well, somebody's going to come after this kid because they want to be the king or whatever it may be uh, and try to destroy the kingdom. And so uh, in the haste of leaving the situation, she drops Mephibosheth as a child and that's how his feet end up being crippled. Mephibosheth is brought to David. David says three times in this passage what he's wanting to do. If you look at it, let's go to verse 1, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. And it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Then let's skip to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? The kindness of God to him. Then then we actually have where uh, we've gone through uh, Ziba. Ziba's told us where to find uh, Mephibosheth. They send for Mephibosheth. They have him brought in. And then we pick up in verse 7, And David said to him... You know, as he comes and he says, Behold, I'm your servant, he falls on the ground, okay? And and as David said to him, Do not fear, for I show I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. There's a couple things here. Mephibosheth would have been seen at this point to a king and kingdom, being the being the bloodline of the former king, which was a different people group even altogether, uh, and and that brings in a whole lot to the story uh, too, uh, he would have been seen as a possible, huge, possible enemy. And the reason being is because uh, he he could be the kind of guy who could rally the troops, so to speak, of his people to come after David and the kingdom and and let's face it no no people group wants to lose power and when they have they want to get it back and so david is doing something here that to us really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, except for the fact that we've seen him now say three times in, in the Scriptures here, and that's very purposeful that it's written that way, that we would have a clear understanding that he wants to show the kindness that he promised to Jonathan to his bloodline, to his heir, to his son, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is about to get the greatest offer he could possibly get. In fact, he is, you know, obviously away, you know, when they go find him, they bring him in. He comes, he falls at the feet of David, says, it says verse 6, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, paid homage, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. You know why David's saying, Do not fear, right? Because he's scared. He's scared. You know, he, I mean, who knows? I mean, first of all, the guy doesn't have use of his feet, and he's still getting on the ground in front of David to, you know, let him know, hey, you, you're the man, and I am not the man, and all this kind of stuff. And David's like, dude, chill out. Don't be afraid. He says, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father And you shall eat at my table always. That's an interesting offer. (laughs) I'm going to give you back your family's land. He's not giving him back the kingdom, he's giving back the family's land that belonged to Mephibosheth's family, that belonged to Saul, that would have belonged to Jonathan had he survived. And this is a huge, this is a huge offer. Because not only is he offering to give the land to him, but but much more he says, and you shall eat at my table always. Now, if you go back and you remember, David himself used to eat at the table with King Saul. And you remember that was kind of an there's some awkward, there's some awkwardness with that because if you don't remember king saul at times was trying to kill david so there were times where we would see king saul and i don't know maybe he was intoxicated or something else i, I don't you know who knows the full thing here all I, we do know that he knows that david's going to end up probably being the king and that's why he's you know on the on the prowl with david or whatever but we would see king saul like literally throwing hatchets and swords and and uh, you know spikes or you know whatever at uh, at David trying to kill him, and then they'd be eating together. That's a little strange, you know. Like you know, I'm going to try to kill you one minute. The next minute, we're having lobster. I don't know. Seems strange to me. David understood what it might be like for Mephibosheth to be again of a different people group to the normal person you would think well that's the enemy but we're inviting him in to the table to eat with us this seems a little crazy but this was heavy on David's heart that the, that the, that the covenant that he had made with his friend Jonathan would not be broken but that he would continue on. Nobody, nobody was waiting for David to do this Nobody was urging David to do this. No one was leading him to do this. This is, all, this is all between God and David. David is following through with something that he feels the Lord leading him to do. I don't know if you've ever been there or not where you know, the Lord's like speaking to your heart about you know, doing something or having a conversation or you know, something that seems crazy or whatever. And then everybody else around you know that the second you start bringing it up, people are going to be looking at you like, you okay? Everything all right? Pretty sure that's probably what was happening here with David in this moment where I'm sure anybody that was, you know, had the guts to anyway would have been like looking at him at least probably behind his back going, uh, I believe the king might have lost his mind. You know, what's he doing? He just invited the, the, the surviving family member of the former king to come and literally eat with us dinner every day? What in the world? And he makes this offer. Restore you all the land of Saul, your father, grandfather, and shall eat at my table always. And his response, he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard For a dead, dead dog such as I. A dead dog such as I. This is Mephibosheth feeling the weight of his life to this point. This is how he feels about himself. He's being honest in this moment with David. He's he's trying to figure this out. He's like, why in the world would you offer me this? Why in the world would you do this for me? Why in the world? I've I've done nothing to deserve this. My family hasn't done anything to deserve this. He's thinking of his grandfather, King Saul, specifically. Little does he know, because he was five years old when Jonathan died, little does he know the type of friendship that was made between David and his dad. Little does he know the promises that were made between each of them to protect the other, to always take care of Of the other whenever they could David felt led to do this Mephibosheth felt like a dead dog useless crippled felt like I have nothing to offer why would you offer me this I'm not part of your bloodline and then on top of that he turns around and looks at the guy that helped that family for years Ziba and says, hey, you're going to help take care of this guy for me. You're going to serve him, you and all your family and your 15 kids and the whole bit. Are you, you guys are all going to go and you're going to till the field and you're going to make sure he's got plenty to eat. Well, it's kind of funny because he's eating at his table, right? So does he get some of that? We don't know. But it says in verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth, the dead dog. You know what Mephibosheth means? The name Mephibosheth means dispeller or destroyer of shame, dispeller or destroyer of shame. Shame is one of those things that plagues us, doesn't it? We always think about the things that we regret in life. In fact, I saw a post yesterday of a pastor, and I I know he was He's probably looking for free sermon help or something. That's the way you usually do. You see pastors posting on Facebook some random question that makes no sense to you. They're just looking for something for the message. Uh, and, and, and this guy, he was posting, he posted this question. He said, what would you go back in your life and change if you could? And, of course, you know, I, didn't, I didn't even get into the comments. I just, I just saw it and was like, kept scrolling. Um, but I, I thought to myself, I immediately thought, myself of a couple things that have happened in my life that I do regret you know things I said to people or the way I acted towards someone or whatever it is and and I just thought man you know it's a shame that I carry shame for these things in my past and the truth is is that God doesn't want me to he wants me to give those things to Jesus he wants to carry that for me. Mephibosheth, dispeller, destroyer of shame, and yet called himself the dead dog, because he apparently had nothing but shame. And here David comes into his life and offers him a life that is not shameful. And basically says, because of your father, because of the Lord and the promise that I made to your father and the legacy that he left behind, you get to reap the benefit of my love and my care and your family's land and always having a seat at my table like one of my son's. Eating at the master's table. Eating at the master's table for a guy who calls himself a dead dog, feels washed up, feels worthless, feels undeserved. David wanted to follow through with this promise by saying, I want you to be my son. I want you to sit at my table. I want you to have these lands. I want to empower you. This covenant love that David had was such a great and strong thing. And it's something that I'm afraid that so many of us don't have today. Tim Keller did a message on this passage, and it's, it's a great message if you get a chance to listen to it. And I'm straight going to steal a couple things from him, and I always try to give credit where that's due. Uh, he talked about in his message that that covenant love is one of those things that is being hurt today by the world that we live in, which is a very much get-it-your-way kind of world. He talked about how that uh, when we deal with businesses, if we don't have a good experience, then we walk away, right? We walk away and we, we go to another business and try to get a, have a better experience and get a better product or whatever it is, and truthfully, this is good for the market and it's you know, all those kinds of things. But the unfortunate part is, is that we have started to treat relationships this way. That we've started to treat uh, uh, lots of things this way. Not just businesses, not just relationships, maybe, maybe even our relationship with the church. You know, maybe our relationship with you know, other people, other family members. That if we don't get from them what we think they ought to give us, we put them away. And that's unfortunate because as believers, as Christians, that's not what God does for us. And it's certainly not what He's called us to do for others. Why? Why would David go to all this trouble for a guy who is supposed to you know, be an enemy at this point? Saul had already set his son to be the king. David and Jonathan had become friends, and we can see that he sees God's anointing on David. Jonathan says, I'll protect you. Takes off his robe, takes off his armor, gives him the throne that was rightfully his. David had a, had a friend that loved him with covenant love. He had a friend who would put himself in harm's way to take David out of harm's way. And who lost the throne so David could take it. That's a real friend. David had a friend like that. And so do you. And so do I. David could love Mephibosheth because of what Jonathan had done. And God can love you and receive you and adopt you and empower you for the sake of an even greater friend. David had a friend who lost an earthly throne. We have a friend who lost a heavenly throne to save us. David had a friend who died on Mount Gilboa for him. We have a friend who died on Mount Calvary. For us. John 15.15 says this. It says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Mephibosheth didn't do anything to deserve what David was doing. We haven't done anything to deserve what God has done for us. It's because He loves us. It's because He cares for us. It's because He wants to make Himself known in this world that He would send Jesus to die for us. Colossians 1 talks about how we were once enemies, once alienated from God, but we've been made friends of God. We've been adopted into the family. Adopted into the family. And this morning, I I can't help but think what it must have been like to be Mephibosheth that day when David offered him a seat at the table to be a part of the family, to have the family's land back. All these things that he didn't deserve and I have to believe that it probably felt something like what Christ has done for us in the moment when we realized that God did something for us that we too didn't deserve. That He sent Jesus to die. To die the perfect death on the cross, to shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. I close with this short passage, Ephesians 1 11. It says, In Him. until we acquire possession of it to praise of His glory. We, too, get an inheritance. We, too, are promised something huge. But it comes through knowing Jesus as your Savior. And if you've never trusted in Him, I can't urge you enough. Before you leave today, talk to somebody. Let us just pray with you. No pressure involved. Just let us, if God is speaking to your heart about what it means to trust in Him, to know Him, don't leave. Believe. Today, we're reminded of the promise that David has made to a friend, but the even greater promise that was made to us from our God by sending His Son Jesus to die for us. What a great legacy for Jonathan to leave behind that his love for a friend would lead to a promise kept for the rest of his life and for the rest of his son's life. Truly, truly amazing and the reminder of what God has done through his son Jesus for us. Let's pray. God, thank You for not just the reminder of what Christ has done for us and what You've done for us in sending Him, but that You did it to begin with. That You were faithful to us even when we've been unfaithful to You. That You don't pull back on the promise just because we've done something wrong or we don't live up to your expectations. Lord, we know that we fail you at times, but Lord, you are still faithful to us. You are still good to us. You still care about us. You still save us a seat at the table. God, I pray for anyone right now listening to this, Lord, that hasn't believed in you, God, that they would understand and know that you, you are inviting them to come and sit at the table forever To be a part of something forever. To be a part of this family forever. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for always keeping them. God, I pray that you would be glorified in us. I pray that we too would be a people, Lord, who keep promises, keep your promises and how we love others, care for others, despite how they may let us down, despite how we may get burned. God, I pray that you would show us what that looks like. God, protect us as we go and lead us as we do what you are calling us to in this life. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.